Welcome to the Servant's Heart Chapel podcast with Pastor Daryl Underwood. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by this week's sermon. Now here is Pastor Daryl. Oh, it was, uh, several years ago, Cody was 15 years old, I believe. He was a junior in high school, just starting out, and began attending classes at Clovis Community College. At that time, we were on the north, we were living on the northeast side of town, and so the community college was just south of us, almost directly, by a few miles. Excuse me. Um, I thought it would be beneficial to him to... uh, have the option of riding his bicycle to the college. It was close enough he could do that, and that would give him a lot more freedom. You know, he wouldn't have to wait for a ride. He wouldn't have to coordinate. Whenever he was just done with classes and needed to go to the library, he could do that, and then whenever he was ready, he could just come home. That was my thought. Well, Cody uh, hadn't ridden that far on his bike before, and he was a little uncomfortable with the idea. So I thought, okay, let's go out, you ride your bike, and I'll follow you in the car. And then that way you do it one time, you'll be a lot more comfortable with it, you'll know where you're going. We headed out and and, and headed south on Norris Street, and at a time they were doing major construction on Norris, and, and I couldn't follow him. I had to make, for about a block, the road was cut off, and so I had to go around and I told Cody, just go straight, continue going straight south on Norris, and I'll meet you at the church. There was a church just past the construction. And so he went his way, and I veered around, taking a detour, and got to the church, and Cody was nowhere around. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd that I beat him, but... Okay, I waited and waited. And I drove around, maybe thought maybe he took a wrong turn somewhere, and I I went up one road and down another road, and I couldn't find him. I had no idea what happened, and I became terrified. I've been shot at in Phoenix. I've been in combat in Iraq, and I was never as scared as I was when I thought I lost my son. I was, I was barely holding it together. I called the police. The cop was there trying, asking me questions, trying to figure out where Cody might have gone when I received a phone call. And Cody was on the other end. Cody didn't have a phone at that time. Cody had borrowed someone else's phone. You see, when I told him to meet me at the church, Cody thought he was talking about our church. And while the instructions seemed strange, Cody never questioned his orders. He just did what he was told. And so he went to our church. At the time, it was on Mitchell Street, just south of 5th Street. So quite a ways from where I was. And 
So he went to the, the church and wondered where I was and actually went to a nearby realtor's office and had them give me a call. I was terrified. I, two hours, mind you. Two very long hours. I wondered what had happened to him. I wondered what I was going to tell Missy. I lost one of our kids. I was, I was just, had just <clears throat> afraid the worst had happened. Today we're going to hear a story that Jesus told about what many call the parable of the prodigal son. Mark Twain was once asked who the greatest storyteller is, and he said, Jesus Christ. And he said, well, they asked him, well, what's the greatest story? And he said, the parable of the prodigal son. In it, it encapsulates everything about this that's important about this life. The most significant aspect to why we're here, what's going on. It's, it's often called the parable of the, of the prodigal son, or in my Bible says the parable of the lost son. But I, I, I really do think that that's, both of those are improper uh, titles for this parable. I think it should be called the parable of the two lost sons, for we're going to find actually two sons who are lost. If you recall from last week, um, I define a parable is, is, a, is something that illustrates a heavenly reality using earthly examples. So Jesus is telling a story that describes something, something spiritual, a spiritual truth, something about our relationship with God, and he's using something from the physical world to to help explain it. We have two lost sons. One was prodigal. Any idea what that means? It's not a common term. It's not a word we use really anymore. Nope. Prodigal. Yeah. Prodigal. Cody? Um, prodigal means recklessly wasteful. They, they, they just, they get some money and then they just completely blow it. That's product, a prodigal person. They waste. So we have one son who's just a, a, what we call a spendthrift. It's another word we don't really use much anymore, but it's somebody who, you ever know anybody who can't hold on to any money? It just burns a hole in their pocket, and they just blow through it all. And we see examples of that. Um, somebody wins a lottery, and we find out a year later they're filing bankruptcy. They were millionaires a year prior, multimillionaires, and now they're filing bankruptcy. They're living in their parents' house. They got nothing. They they're prodigal. They they, they live a prodigal life. The other son is petulant. Petulant means easily irritated, annoyed, sulky, bad-tempered. 
That's a petulant person. That's the other brother we're gonna we're gonna find out. The first brother uh, has a problem with rebellion. The second brother has a problem with self righteousness. So let's begin, shall we? Verse eleven. He, being Jesus, also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. The younger, the younger one, son, represents all of us at some point. All of us. The rebellious one. I want my self-centered one. The father, give me my inheritance, basically, is what he's asking for. He's consumed with self. What I want now, he's not willing to wait until his father dies to get his inheritance. I want it now. So I can spend it upon myself. And so his father does as he asks. He, he doesn't tell him no. I can empathize with the father a lot more now than I could when I was younger. My kids are now going, becoming adults and making their own decisions, and it's hard. And I, you know, now before, I, I think of questions I hadn't thought of before when I was younger regarding the father. Why didn't the father just tell him no? Keep dreaming, kid. You're going to wait until I die before you get a single penny from me. But sometimes we got to let our kids, as young adults, go out and make their own mistakes, make their own decisions. Even if we know it's a bad decision, it's tough. Yeah. So the father did that, though. He said he he he. Uh, the father agreed and distributed the assets. Verse uh, thirteen. Not many days later, the. Why is this? Oh, hang on a second. I didn't realize. There we go. Not many days later, verse 13, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. So he blew it all. He partied. I'm sure he suddenly found, he went to a far country. He not only rejected his family, he rejected his faith. He was a Jewish young man. He went out somewhere where he could just live the life he wanted to live. Do things he was taught was wrong. And I'm sure he found plenty of friends because he had plenty of money. Suddenly he had a lot of buddies who were more than happy to help him spend his money. And so he, he uh, did a lot of partying and before long it was gone. He had nothing. You see, sin is enjoyable, uh, but it's only enjoyable for a season. 
It doesn't last that long, and the pain lasts much longer. The pleasure of sin is never that long. Before he knew it, he had nothing. Verse 14. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, after he had spent everything in severe family, and struck that country, and then he had nothing. Verse 15, then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So he's, he's doing the lowest form of labor he can find. It just He's barely scraping by. He's not even really doing that. He's starving because he longed to eat. Verse 16, he longed to eat his fill from the carob pods that pigs were eating but no one would give him any. Carapods were these, usually the part of, you know, they were the shell of a carob seed. Humans don't normally eat that. They, they feed it to the animals. But he was so hungry, he was looking at those, man, those look good. He was looking at pig slop and thinking how, that's how hungry he was. He's starving. He's destitute. He's got nothing. He had hit rock bottom. Recently I was asked, you know, do Christians often have to hit rock bottom before they come to their senses and realize their need for God? And the answer is yes, a lot. Very few of us have the wisdom to turn to God before sin brings us to that point. Because we're stupid, that's that's my. Uh, someone asked why why do you think we wait, and, and I think it's because we're dumb. We're not that bright, and we're self-centered, and we think we have all the answers. We think we figured it out. We think we know more than God. Yeah, I know this is wrong, but it's not really going to hurt me. No one starts doing drugs thinking they're going to be an addict laying on the street. No, who thinks that? Or prostitute just turning tricks just to get enough money for the next high. No woman thinks that. They think, oh, it won't happen to me. I'm different. I'll be okay. It's not going to affect me. So verse 17, when he came to his senses... Now here we are going to go through the steps a sinner goes through to come to Christ. And, and the first one is awareness. This, there has to be a better way. This isn't working for me. It is not going well. So he came to his senses. That somebody was saying, he came to himself and he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food and I'm here dying of hunger? So he's aware in verse 18, I'll get up, I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. So here we have confession. First there's awareness and there's confession. And notice, I, I have sinned. That's that ownership. That's another characteristic of a sinner who's coming to Christ. No more excuses. No more 
Oh, it's her fault. It's his fault. My parents' fault. My siblings' fault. It's everybody. My teacher hates me. All these excuses for wrong behavior. I did wrong. I lied. I cheated. I stole. I did. I gossiped. I hurt somebody. I was selfish. I acted wrong. I sinned before God. Ownership. A blessed moment that sinner when a sinner does that. And he says, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. There's humility. Annalie. No longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. Say, make me a servant. So there's humility. I, I know I'm not worthy. I know I don't I've messed up. I've done wrong. I, I don't deserve any blessing from you. So then verse 20, he got up. So he t- tells himself all this. But it's important, see, this. he got up. It wasn't just, oh, I ought to do what's right and never take action. You know how many people I've known who's, who told me, I need to flip my script, I need to change my life, I need to make some changes, I know I'm doing something that's wrong. They've told me that and they've never got up. This boy got up. And that made a big difference. He took steps. He took action. He got up and went to his father, who, by the way, symbolizes God. The father is a symbol of God. We're talking about symbols. So the son, younger son, symbolizes us. The father symbolizes God. He went to his father. But, I love this word right here. The word but indicates a contrasting statement, right? The son was going to the father with an expectation. Maybe, maybe he will allow me to just be a servant. To just work for him. I'll be happy with that. But... That didn't happen. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. You know the only way his father could see him is if he was a long way off, is if his father was looking for him. All this time had passed, not knowing whether he was dead or alive, not knowing what had happened with him. Seeing him on Facebook or Instagram. His friends and neighbors had no news about him. And he's looking. Probably see him on the front porch just waiting. 
looking out. And he sees his son in a far distance. He's probably seen many people in a distance and wondered, is that him? Oh, it's not him. Oh, that's him. No, it's not him. And here he was. He sees this young man torn and ragged and skinny and broken. And he realizes his son, his lost son, But his father, while his son was so long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. His son, who had disrespected him and left the family, just denied the family, denied the faith, humiliated, dishonored the family, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. He said the very thing that he had rehearsed in his mind. Maybe the whole time he was walking home, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. you. Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. Just over and over in his mind. And so his son's got his, him wrapped around his kissing. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then, verse 22, another fantastic word. But, again, another contrasting statement. The son had expected one behavior from the father. The father gave him a completely different response than what he expected Verse 22, but the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He clothed, bring, bring it. And the ring, um, most uh, agree that the ring wasn't just any ring, but a family ring, a family signet saying, you're a part of the family. And so the father dressed him in a robe with sandals on his feet and, and, and a ring on his finger. Then he commanded them, verse 23, bring the fatted calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with the feast. Salvation. So at first we began with the sinner awareness and then confession and ownership and humility and then salvation. And then a celebration. You know, we didn't talk about it, but in verse 10 of this chapter, when Jesus gave the parable of a lost coin, a lost coin, verse 10, he said, I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Did you know that? You have a young lady in our church today who repented of sin not long ago. Did you know there was a party in heaven? Did you know that? There was a party in heaven because of that. That's how special it is to God and the angels. So the the father, let's celebrate with the feast. Verse 24, 
Why they celebrate him? Because a son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Praise the Lord. A sinner came home. We looked at the perspective of the prodigal son, this, this waster, this rebellious son who turned away from his father. He came back in humility and confession and, 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 and the father forgave him. And, and we, so we can see from the son's perspective, we can also see from the father's perspective if we're Christians, if we're Christ's followers, we have somebody that we care about, we know is lost. So we can learn from this. What can we learn? Don't give up hope. Keep praying. Keep watching. Be ready for that moment when your lost loved one wants to come home. Verse 25. Now his older son, this is the other lost son, was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And they said, your brother is here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe. And the sound. The fattened calf, by the way, was an animal they specially prepared for special events. Put aside, fed. We, we still have that in uh, Japanese, have the, the Kobe beef. You can get that in the U.S. now since 2012. Uh, for a long time you couldn't, but now you can. It's a certain breed. They feed them a special diet. They brush them every day. Um, and uh, it's, it's considered one of the, the best tasting beef out there. But it, it's, a, it's a fattened calf is what it is. And so here the, 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 the dad has the, has the fattened calf slaughtered for this big celebration, this big feast. Why? Because his son has come home safe and sound. Well, the brother, the brother didn't like that. Verse 28, he became angry. And didn't want to go in. Why? Because he was self-righteous. We'll see that right now. As we read. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father. Look, I've been slaving many years for you. And had never disobeyed your orders. And you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. So he was full of spiritual pride. Which can happen. When you walk with God for so long, if you get serious with God, you've got to be on the lookout for spiritual pride. Thinking... That God owes you something because you've been living right. So yes, we are rewarded 
for the good works we do, but God doesn't owe us anything. And so he was miffed. He had the wrong attitude, full of pride and anger and critical spirit with his brother. Verse 31, Son, he said to him, You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I can appreciate this story. In 1989, at 14 years old, in a summer camp in northern Arizona, I knelt in front of an altar and, 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 and gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And may I, I remember that moment. I felt like someone turned on a switch and I could feel God's presence for the first time in my life. And I went back home excited to live for the Lord. In about six months, I decided, oh, it's too hard to be a Christian. I'm just going to live life the way I want to live it. You know why it was too hard? Because I didn't want to give up the sin. All my buddies were doing certain things, and I didn't want to I not participate in that. I didn't want to, to, to give up sin, give up things I knew was wrong. Oh, it's too hard. I'm just going to quit. And so for a few years... For a few years, I lived life the way I wanted to live it. And by the time I was 17, I had hit rock bottom. And I became aware. I realized that there was a better way. And I confessed my sin to God and took ownership of what I did. And I was humble before Him. And because of that, Jesus Christ saved me. Saved me out of that life. Saved me from sin. And He had been waiting the entire time. God didn't say, no, I gave you a shot a few years ago. You're on your own now. Thank God he didn't do that. Thank God God was patient with me during my 20s when I loved Jesus, but it was very much up and down. I still struggle with some sins in my life. Whether, I don't know where you are today, maybe you're the, the prodigal child, maybe you are the parent, maybe with the lost loved one that you're concerned about, maybe you are the other brother 
who's been going to church and paying tithe and following, and 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 the devil begins sowing pride in your heart. Whatever it is, if there's any sin in your life, God will forgive you. But only when you're serious with Him. He knows when you're playing games. If you're just going through the motions, it's not going to work. But if you're serious, some wild things are going to happen. Your life is going to be turned around. I love one of my favorite authors, Rosaria Butterfield. Before she became a Christian, uh, she was um, practicing lesbian uh, prominence in the gay rights movement. Uh, and uh, she had a doctorate in English and was a tenured professor at a prestigious university. By the Cal counts of the world, man, she was on it, living a very successful life until she realized her need for God. And she said, I, I, I love my favorite line in the whole book is, she said, conversion is too polite a word for the train wreck that occurs when one comes face to face with the living God. Her life got completely turned upside down when she got serious with God. Now, obviously, God blessed her. But it was a, a harrowing experience. She had to turn away from all of her old friends. Actually, they turned away from her, I should say. They rejected her. But God blessed her. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us. If you liked this podcast, then hit the subscribe button. Also, take some time to rate us. Feel free to check out our website at servantsheartchapel.org, and you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. Thanks again, and have a blessed week.